This is going to be a dense one, so strap on in, guys. Let's talk gear ratio. Hey, what a really, really dense topic to talk about. So this is definitely one, if you're not a member of PH, I definitely suggest you get it. Um, if you are a member of PH, we have a lot of, a lot of uh, visuals and graphics and honestly videos that go through on this. Um, it's just not an easy topic. Uh, what I would also come back and say too, Physics Resistant Training by Doug Brignol, uh, Casim's N1, all really good resources to understand mechanical tension as well as just not all muscles are created equal in terms of form and function. So let's start off with the actual gear ratio idea and then let's go through how that applies to potentially different muscles. So we're all familiar with the bike and its gears, right? You can imagine pedal leading into a, uh, a like pulley going into two different actual gears, one usually small, one usually big. And the more you pedal, the, the more that, that those, gears, those gears actually rotate. And when you think about it, you're thinking about, okay, well, I'm riding up a hill, what would I do? Would I put it in a low gear that has less actual revolutions or what really is the per term in terms of physics work? So how many times do I have to spin the bike around? Versus on the other end, I got to look at it from the concept of, do I go a high gear where I have to do more revolutions? Now, in regards to a low gear or a high gear, really comes down to, okay, there's work component. How many times do I have to revolve to get momentum or force versus the other end is how much force is produced per actual revolution or turn of the gear. This comes in the form of the idea of torque, right? So if you ever look at anything in terms of like torque, it's a rotary force looking around, working at this, this gear. And, and in reality, this is an important thing to think about because torque is a really important function within a joint. So if I was going to look at a, let's say knee, and I'm looking at the forces I create with the musculature in the anterior and posterior side, uh, side of the upper leg, so the quad and the hamstring, how much force is generated into that knee is really, the product, is really torque because we're rotating that. And we're looking at these muscles are pulling by contracting or shortening, and that creates a certain torque or amount of force at that joint, subsequently the knee. But how this compares to a bike is think about riding uphill. Would you use a low gear or a high gear? Well, it depends on how much force you can produce. If you can't produce a lot of force because the musculature associated with that doesn't have a lot of force, you have to choose a higher gear, which would mean more work. That's an important thing to think about. You're going to have to turn that bike pedal more to go up the hill at a higher gear. Conversely, if you use a lower gear because you have a greater force potential, AKA you can produce more torque at that gear. Well, therefore you're gonna have a higher amount of force output, but a lower number of revolutions or a lower number to work. So that is the foundation of this. And take a second right now and it, it, either Google bike gear, Google uh, videos of bike gear, um, or just get on the module and look at this because when you're thinking about the actual gear function of a bike, there's a lot of parallels to the gear function of a joint or the gear function of the actual uh, muscle fibers that are associated with that. 
So if we're looking at this, you know, one of the things that I think is a really good resource uh, for understanding tension and understanding forces is Physics and Resistance Training by Doug Brignall, who just recently passed away, uh, which, you know, it is what it is. But I think one of the things that we can talk about is not necessarily the legacy, but the idea associated with that book. And one of the lines that Doug had was the basic universal law that determines the amount of magnification of levers is R, a.k.a. resistance, times the resistance arms equals force times the force arm. So this is the primary lever connected to the direct, directly to the muscle. So the primary lever is supported by the secondary level, which has a facilitative force. And where I'm going to get really into this is the secondary lever also can rotate the primary level. Primary lever. If the secondary lever is allowed to tilt in the direction, is not aligned in the primary lever, it would torque the primary lever. So we're thinking about now the muscles, and this is something that I talk about a lot with a lot of the people that I work with. And you're thinking now in terms of why would I want to learn bodybuilding? Why would I want to learn to function of machines? Why would I want to learn how to create lines of pull or tension or understand mechanical disadvantage or advantage? It all is physics. These machines are really eloquently designed and they force you to think about what actual function is it creating around the joint and what actually is making that joint action occur. And you think about it, if I am a track and field guy or if I'm a powerlifting guy or I'm a, um, a weightlifting guy, it's all physics. It's all physics. In terms of powerlifting, why they adopt a very low bar butt back position is because it changes center of mass to more posterior and it changed the mechanical advantage to the, from the thigh or the quad, which relatively speaking is a strong muscle group, but not the knee is not as necessarily as robust as the hip. So if I'm trying to create vertical force, the best way that I can do that is one, yeah, altering the range of motion but two, I abduct the hip, I push the butt back to create this very centrated hip joint, and hopefully my spinal segment is really strong enough to withhold those forces, and that knee is really strong enough to withhold those forces. But I can leverage a more, a more capable joint, the hip, over the actual quad or the, or the knee. Weightlifting, it's all about being fast and all about keeping it close, and all about catching it deep, so you're not pulling as high. So that becomes into now, instead of producing force, it's all about creating your body as a torque-generating lever, right? So the analogy that Bud Charinga talks about in the demasculization of sport, which is another really good resource here, is the idea of the Fosberg flop, that you're not pulling the bar higher, you're not jumping higher, you're catapulting yourself over the bar, or in this case, you're catapulting yourself under the bar in weightlifting. So this is not a matter of force. It's a matter of generating a right amount of torque at the right time around the certain joints and adjusting those joints to get under it. So maybe that's just relying more on the passive properties. And I'll get to the point why this actually matters. But then we get to the point of bodybuilding. And all of that is is trying to create as much mechanical tension in a muscle and that can come in the force of force come in the form of force or that can come in the form of actual work right so we know from the work of Doug Brignol and Brad Schoenfeld is this idea of mechanical tension muscular damage or metabolic stress all equate to changing the cross-sectional muscle area size 
right? We're going to hypertrophy the muscle cell by increasing the either density of sarcomeres or increasing the width of that muscle cell. And there's really no clear-cut way to do it, right? It usually just kind of falls down to this hybrid combination aggregate of the three. Force is important through intensity, and then we look at mechanical tension is really important, and we look at metabolic stress is really important. But the idea goes back again to this gear, is do I need to produce a lot of work, i.e. mechanical stress, right? Then I might need to choose a, a joint action or a muscle group that it can accumulate more, right? Maybe a more fatigue-resistant muscle fiber, maybe a more efficient muscle fiber that doesn't require as much force but actually has a lot more passive properties, like a parallel fiber, and then we go into the other end of looking at something where maybe I want to create a lot of mechanical damage. So I want to utilize a high external load or high intensity and utilize heavy eccentrics. That's when we start to look at muscle fibers that can produce higher forces, like a pennate muscle fiber. And what we're thinking about this is now, okay, I want to pick the right gear for the right function. And it comes down to what gear can you actually use? Again, going back to the original analogy, I'm trying to go up a hill. I don't have enough prerequisite force generating capability, so I have to choose a higher gear, but that's going to equate into more work. Now, if I was trying to build up the muscle cell, I probably need to focus on trying to get to lower hills and using a, higher, a lower gear in order to produce force because that is not the rate-limiting step to developing a larger muscle versus on the other end, we can look at this as maybe I have an incredible amount of force generating capability, but I can't sustain a lot of revolutions or work. So maybe I need to utilize muscle fibers that produce a higher amount of work just because they're more efficient and I can use a higher gear more consistently. But this is the idea, though, of like why we need to be so comfortable getting outside of our domain. Right? I'm a weightlifting guy, I'm a track guy, I'm a powerlifting guy, I'm a bodybuilding guy, I'm a function guy, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Get to work understanding these other domains because there's tremendous insights. But come back to first principles of physics. If we don't have a really good foundational knowledge of physics between Newtonian, now even potentially looking at quantum, and then the other end is chemistry and nutrition, which we talk a lot about within our nutritional, nutritional modules, is this idea that as you learn and expose yourself to other models, other, other domains, you have a healthier perspective of just how physics is more important. And if I look at first and second class levers, if I look at things like force and torque and work, even velocity, then I can have a, a better perspective of when I use this stuff. So let's get into the nitty gritty on this. So if you can imagine the two big fibers in our body, Parallel and pennate. These are the two primary movers in our body for muscle groups, right? So if you look at high force generating capable muscles, like the quad, the tricep, anywhere where we have more muscle laid in an area, that's usually a pennate muscle fiber. Pennates run oblique. And what that's important is because it connects to this connected tissue within the muscle cell called the eponeus. And the eponeus basically connects this stuff and allows for a greater distribution of sarcomeres from this more oblique or transverse orientation of the actual pennate muscle fiber. So when you're thinking about pennate, 
and there's a couple different types of penate. There's a unipenate, there's a uh, bipenate, there's a multipenate. All these things have function and have a certain level of this. But the bottom line with any penate muscle fiber, let's just say a unipenate, is going to be this idea of there's going to be a greater distribution of sarcomeres within that area. And what is a sarcomere? It's a contractile unit of the muscle cell. And that contractile unit is critical to producing force, right? That's the whole premise of when we're looking at increasing force, increasing output is trying to increase the cross-sectional muscle area. So what we want to look at is what muscles are actually most prone to increase in the cross-sectional muscle area. It's probably going to be these higher force generating things. If we look at type 2X, we can look at type 2B. But the bottom line is there is a difference between a penate and a parallel muscle fiber just from the amount of sarcomeres that could be within that sarcomere. And the connective tissue of Pontius and all these other things in there and the orientation of that allow for greater distribution of force. And what we want to do is get back to this Pontius because what that does is creates more compression of the muscle and pulls harder on that Pontius, aka the same thing we're talking about with a gear on a bike we are now within a lower gear, right? So imagine more muscles, more contractile units of sarcomere are pulling on the connective tissue within that muscle cell, creating more force. That is a lower gear. That's a lower gear. So penate fibers are generating more force because they work at a lower gear because they have more sarcomeres pulling on the eponeus. Conversely, a parallel muscle fiber has less sarcomeres. It runs distal to proximal, it runs parallel to the actual line of pull, where a penate runs obliquely or transverse to the line of pull, right? So if I'm flexing my knee, the hamstring, which is predominantly parallel muscle fibers, usually flexor-based joints are gonna be more parallel and extension-based joints are gonna be more penate. And then you start to look at, well, if there's less sarcomeres, what is that relying on? Maybe it's a work thing, right? So now they can go through higher revolutions. Or maybe it's efficiency thing. And this is going back to the Fosberg flop. Pulling muscles are just more efficient, right? When we look at flexion perpendicular to gravity, it's a, it is a mechanically advantaged position, relatively speaking, to extension. And we'll talk about that in the practical. And where do we start to use exercises and understand gear ratio with certain exercises? But the bottom line is if I'm going to look at a parallel muscle fiber, it has less sarcomeres pulling, relatively speaking, to the penate muscle fiber, which has more sarcomeres pulling or contracting. And what that generates is more force or more work or higher potential. But that is gear ratio. And this is something that as you start to think about, and you think about all the other things, let's go back to some of the the movement modules we have in terms of talking about, well, what is a lever? Is a lever really there if there's space between the joint? And if we lose space between the joint, therefore then we don't necessarily have a joint anymore. So if there's actually distance between the fulcrum, the lever and the, fore, the moment arm, well, do we really actually have a lever? And this is when we had to get into the idea of hydrodynamics and looking at fluids moving from a open to a closed space and creating internal momentum. And then it gets a little bit weirder when you get actually towards the central part of the body 
that momentum becomes more of a rotational downward force, aka precession. And then we start to think about the muscles that are associated with it. And you think about mechanical advantage. So a flexor-based muscle has a mechanical advantage. A extensor-based muscle has a mechanical disadvantage. This is relative to gravity. This is why we have evolved to having more muscle fiber in extensor-based joints or more sarcomeres in extensor-based joint because it's at a mechanically disadvantaged position. We have to overcome the forces relative to gravity external to the body at a higher level, so therefore we need greater contractile units to do that. Conversely, in parallel muscle fibers or in in flexion-based movements, we need to have less muscle fibers, but we also need to have a stronger connective tissue function because this becomes into now, this is a decelerative aspect. This is also a function of efficiency and managing work so we don't expend ourselves out. These goes into a whole nother dynamic of what function actually really is needed based off the muscle fiber. And we're thinking about how that applies to movements. We're thinking about how that applies to performance. We're thinking about how it applies to injury prevention. But again, it comes down to now when we look at flexor-based muscles or extensor-based muscles in that joint taking fluid from one side of the joint to the other. And I'm doing this in a very simplistic two-dimensional way just for a purpose. But you have to think about this is actually a three-dimensional thing. And this is definitely including more rotary, more rotary or precession-based forces within that joint. But all I'm doing is a flexor-based muscle, which has a mechanical advantage. I don't need as much sarcomeres to push fluid to the opposite end of the joint or vice versa. Or if I look at vice versa, I'm going to need more muscle fibers to push fluid to the other end of the joint from that open space that's created from flexion. And we just keep going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the relative relationship to the aponeus is that Aponius is becoming strengthened and strengthened and pulling more and more in that gear. That is the chain within the gear that is pulling harder and harder. So I got a lot to go through on this module, and I know this is something that's probably like, what the hell did this guy just talk about? Um, what I would say is this, is think the simplest way possible about this and looking at it from the bike analogy we set up. Lower gears are going to be more force, and that's going to be probably more associated with pennate muscle fibers or extensor muscle groups. Higher gears are going to be less force, more work. And in this case, we'll probably talk about velocity a little bit more, sneak peek and the practical, more associated with parallel muscle fibers and less sarcomeres and more connective tissue. And that's it. That's really the foundation of the principles of this. And it goes into this other level of understanding what exercises might be best for certain muscle groups. What exercises might be tolerant to higher amounts of work, higher amounts of forces and higher amounts of work. What muscle groups might need a different focal point, as we talked about the Brad Schoenfield, mechanical tension, muscular damage, or metabolic stress as mechanisms to improve cross-sectional area based off the muscle group. So if we have a high work potential muscle fiber, like a parallel, do we need more mechanical tension or more metabolic stress? I don't know. I do know, but we'll talk about that in practical. And if I have a high force generating muscle, like a extensor group, like a pennate muscle fiber, do I need more metabolic stress, mechanical damage, or tension? Again, there's an answer there. And if we can understand how physiology will dictate function 
and how we can leverage physics and how we can do that. And we can look at a machine as not all machines are created equal. Machines have to understand these basic lines of pull and mechanical advantage, disadvantage, and strength of the actual muscle fiber, relatively speaking, to its form. We can better leverage machines to get results to the bottom line from a rehabilitation setting, from a increasing body comp- increasing body or lean muscle mass, improving body composition, maybe even doing compound closed kinetic chain movements, or looking at really high rates of force development movements and how that might parlay into that. And I think there's an element of we can look at isolated joints or multi-joints or a very high coordinated sequence of movement as this fractal relationship from understanding complex all the way down to simple individual digestible parts and then trying to piece it back together. Remember, nothing's ever the sum of its parts. There's a lot of elements at play there. So I hope you guys are um, overwhelmed um, at this point because I definitely think this is one that is a deep dive. I can't suggest this enough. Get on PH Podcast. Become a member. Get on this module. The graphics, the visuals, the videos – all will help a ton. And then as well as like, if you're listening to this on our podcast, we pull the podcast after a month because we want to focus that on our curriculum. So if you guys want to dive into this even more, get on PH podcast and then you can ask questions. The curriculum is a really good sort or the curriculums a really good resource, but the forum's a better one. The forum's where the magic really happens. All right, guys, I'm going to pause right there. I hope you guys enjoy this. Thank you guys for everything. We'll see you guys next time.